The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 10, Meet Me in St. Louis. Nina was glad to see the sun coming up. They had arrived in Memphis the previous night, dropped off the rental car uptown, and had made their way slowly south on foot. The further down they went, a touristy veneer dissipated, replaced by a certain amount of grit an adulthood spent in the squeaky clean BDF psych ward wasn't doing her any good in this landscape of dimly lit shopfront facades, cavernous alleys, and moving shadows. Ad wire placements complicated the situation, causing her to flinch towards Vincent every few minutes as someone, hollow or real who knew, popped into view out of the darkness. The doctor tried to convince her that the wire had, for all its faults, reduced the crime rate significantly in this notorious town. But that was information coming from someone who believed in transdimensional vampires, so such reassurances had negligible effect on Nina's nerves. The VEF safe house was a restaurant, bar, music venue, and looked older than anything else on the block. After Vincent established their bona fides with the night manager, they were given quarters upstairs. The room had once been occupied by whores in the early 20th century, and their badly overpainted walls still carried a grim aura of hopelessness offering no glimpse of the world outside. It felt like the ward, but in an alternate universe, one that she did not care to be a part of. Thus, as Vincent slept, Nina opted to spend the remainder of the night downstairs. The place apparently never closed, even though foot traffic was low that night. One of the bartenders, the dimmest of them naturally, engaged in a long, awkward attempt to woo her as the night dragged on, And so when the first remote hint of sunrise approached, she adjourned to the bench outside on the sidewalk. Cold as it was, she would rather be alone than in bad company. Gradually, the night's shadows gave way to human shapes, easily distinguishable from their ad-wire doppelgangers in the new morning light. The street was actually quite charming now. Save for the ads, the block probably looked a lot like it had decades ago. Memphis had once been a crossroads of north and south, east and west, black and white, squinting, She could almost make out the ghosts of history going about their business, unaware of their watcher from the future. She liked those old movies where men and women had to wear hats and suits to go outside in public. Creepo McDingus pants at the bar behind her, with his ripped tee and nose ring, wouldn't stand a chance in a society like that. But then, neither would an unmarried woman. She squinted at the street again to bring back the magic. History was better with Vaseline on the lens. Slowly, she watched the breakfast crowd walk past her and into this temporary sanctuary. A thought occurred to her then. She craned her neck to look through the window behind her. The bar shift had changed, blessedly. Rising from the bench, she made her way back inside. A petite girl behind the bar eyed her. Obviously, everyone had been made aware of the new lodgers. Nina approached. Not to be that lady, but can I speak to the manager? The girl nodded, cocking her head in the direction of a door emanating faint light from the crack beneath it. Nina went over and knocked, twice. A bespectacled, narrow male head popped out, widening his eyes slightly as he registered her identity. 
Could I have a word? The men nodded, casting a quick glance around before ushering her in. Boxes of restaurant supplies and rigged up net cables filled the room, many sprouting from a data display in the back corner. Closing the door behind him, he turned to face her. I'm Mal. Nina. Caden, you mean. Shit. Right, sorry. Careful. People won't notice, but the system will. Still a dumbass, I'm afraid. Just new. How's the motherland? You're from Brooklyn? Wait, I shouldn't... No, this room is grandfathered. No surveillance. The rest of the bar is monitored, though. And yeah, I'm from Bay Ridge. Nice. I'm a flatbush girl. I miss it sometimes. But I do love Memphis. Bands we get in here are killer, wired or not. Nina gave him a once-over. He couldn't be much older than her. Maybe early 30s. Cute. In a nerdy way. How long have you been out here? Five years. Got tired of being cooped up behind the wall. A buddy of mine told me the VEF could get me out of town, so I joined up. You're not a believer, then? Maybe not as much as your friend. She's been down here? No, but I got the scoop from Maynard. Maynard? Nose ring. Likes you. Ugh. Anyway, he says your buddy Giamarco there is a stone-cold believer. Have you gotten any other stone-cold believers in here over the last week or so? Why do you ask? Just, I suppose I get curious about who else is out here. We get the odd missionary, sure. Haven't really gotten a live one in quite a while, though, now that you mention it. Never westbound. Why's that? I guess you've never met Dr. Barrett. Ah, right. Sure. So, you were expecting someone? Her heart froze. She ran the risk of endangering Harry and his dad with all this clumsiness. But the damage was done. She might actually be able to trust Mal more than Vincent at this point. If she was lucky. Maybe. A true believer? Yep. She'd stepped in it. One of them is. And so you and this other person, each with a true believer in tow, would be... Asking similar questions to yours, yeah. But not necessarily getting all the answers. Hmm. Pretty much. Is this the part where you ask me for help? (sighs) Not really, no. Okay. I just was kind of hoping someone else had already come through here. And since they haven't? They could be in trouble. Or not. I actually have no fucking clue if you haven't already figured that out. Are you being held hostage? I wouldn't call it that. Someone just switched my old bad deal with a new one, and it's hard to know yet whether I trade it up. Hmm. I wish I knew how to help you. Me too, but unless you know more than I do about my friend, then I'm probably better off handling the situation on my own. She knew the passcodes and the zombied wires checked out. They keep us in the dark on purpose out here. All I know is whether she's friend or foe in the front size. I know, that's probably for the best. You don't sound like you believe that. No, I actually, I do. That doesn't mean I like it, though. Hmm. So let's suppose your friend comes through here after you've gone. That hadn't occurred to her. Maybe they were taking a slower road for some reason. If that happens, just tell him I was here. That's all? She regretted it already. What possible good would it do for Harry to know she was stuck in this mess, too? She could imagine his anxiety level as it was, without him having to worry about her as well. But he needed to know that he wasn't in this alone. He knew that she wasn't VEF. Probably. Hell, she didn't know what he knew. In the end, though, she had to think that he would take comfort in the knowledge that there was someone friendly on the other end of this ridiculous journey. Someone who at least gave a damn whether he lived or died. That's all. Nina is the name he'll know? Between us, yeah. Of course. Good to meet you. You too. If a face could be trusted, it was this one. If it couldn't, well, that was one more thing out of her control. Exiting the office, she became aware of how tired she truly was. She plodded up the stairs and down to the far end of the hall. 
the noise of her opening the door turned Vincent's head from a data display in the corner. Make any friends? One. You wouldn't like him. He's got a dick. Be careful. Just because this is VEF run doesn't mean we're not being watched. I know all about being watched. The bait hung there for a moment, but in the end was ignored. Vincent cleared the display, grabbed her jacket, and left the room, shutting the door firmly behind her. She knew as well as Nina did that for the moment, they were stuck with each other. Cunt. That got her giggling a bit, despite herself. She hadn't said that word in ages, since back when she was still with her friends outside the ward. The ones who had gotten her to see a doctor. Her episodes hadn't changed in frequency or predictability since the road trip began. Vincent was polite enough not to mention them. Feeding time for the invisible chakra suckers or whatever the fuck. Nina shook her head. Whichever bit of this story was going to happen next, it could wait until she'd had a goddamn nap. She closed her eyes and was out. Adrift. A sea of doors, the quiet but insistent knocking somewhere among them, the growing certainty that the sound was not coming from within the dream. Awake now, in a room both strange and familiar, heavy curtains hung astride a window, which looked out only onto a dim, diffuse light. How long had they been knocking? The sound was distant, not on the thick doors of the room itself, somewhere. Rising, stepping into a hall. The volume was neither louder nor quieter than inside the room. Walking now, the hallway repeating itself no matter how far the journey. Maddening. Who was it? The VEF outpost in St. Louis was not, strictly speaking, actually in St. Louis. Upon leaving the bus, one of the most glorious moments of relief Harry Selden had ever experienced, they boarded a train across the river to East St. Louis. Somehow the bus trip had numbed them both to the presence of wires. No one engaged them, or even gave them a second glance. Behind the wall, it had been easy to picture an ultra-paranoid world out here, but in truth, most people were doing exactly the same things everyone did in Brooklyn. They went to work, dropped by the grocery store, had a beer with friends, and basically were just people. And like Brooklyn, there were parts of town where one had to exercise a bit of caution. Stepping out of the train station, the two men decided with a glance that this was one of those. Along the avenue, maybe one shop in five was occupied. Aimless loitering abounded in disused nooks. Sidewalk and road neglect suggested a lax attitude from local government, which, while being good for the VEF, wasn't the best scenario for visiting pedestrians. It seemed preposterous in the wake of their free Detroit sojourn, but Harry had been mugged in much less sketchy-looking neighborhoods. He was also hyper-aware that his father did not need to see a Vorn in order to decide someone needed the shit beaten out of them. 
Harry would happily hand over what little in the world he had on him in order to avoid a fight, but he had no such confidence in his dad's judgment on that front. Based on the directions they'd been given, it was only a 20-minute walk from the train station to the safe house. Harry kept his eyes alert and clenched a little as they veered off the main road. Peeling porches rotted in the damp cold, some protected by slavering pit bulls held back by rusty chains. In free Detroit's grim dark, he had armed himself with a blunt object, but here in broad daylight it seemed a provocative move. Harry wondered a bit at all this. Supposedly the wire kept society on a more or less even level, to minimize violence and provide few opportunities for questioning the system. Yet here there was clearly a hole in the web. He wondered how many more such gaps there were, and if they represented potential leverage to the rewired world. He caught himself. You've been at this too long, Harry. You're starting to think like them. Still, he filed it away for future reference. Ahead on a lot slightly larger than those of the surrounding houses sat a stumpy old church. Aluminum siding slats of faded white and yellow made a vain effort to patch up the walls against the inevitable sag of time. The Church of Hope, a relatively fresh mosaic announced from atop the wooden entryway. The parking lot was empty, save for a rust-speckled van sporting the church's rainbow-colored logo. Mandela Squad shared a glance, took a simultaneous deep breath, and Lars knocked on the door. From within came a series of bumps, growing slowly closer. At last the door creaked open, revealing a shaggy heap of gray hair atop a wheelchair. Deep-set, watchful eyes peered out of the mist of strands, appraising the newcomers. John Staines. I am the captain of my soul. Jazz roofer. It always seems impossible until it's done. Arvin Nussbaum. What he said. <laughs> Come in. Val, we got company. He scooted between the pair and down the central aisle of the weathered sanctuary. Pews were neatly arranged and recently painted, although the walls had seen less attention. From behind a side door, a very thin woman in her mid-sixties entered. Her long white hair was a bit patchy in places, and her t-shirt and jeans hung half askew from her wiry frame. She approached them a bit warily. Val Roofer, who do we have here? Railroad traffic. Ah, uh, you're probably hungry then. If you can spare it, we can get our own provisions if need be. No, no, you don't want to do that. Don't leave until it's time. The fewer eyeballs on you, the better. He rolled through the side door, which led into a small fellowship hall. Val waved them all in. Harry and Lars took a seat at the table nearest the kitchen. Val started to go help Jazz with the food, then seemed to reconsider, pulling up a chair a few places away from the new arrivals. It seemed silly, but the question was killing Harry. So, the Tubman thing doesn't happen here? East Coast does East Coast. We do us. Too conspicuous in these parts anyways. I guess the wire didn't fix separate but equal. The wire is the status quo. It didn't change anything, other than turning off logical conclusions. How do you mean? You grow up around here, the expectations are set. Before the wire, people figured that meant they needed to get what they could from those who had something, and not fast food wages either. Desperate people doing desperate things. Right, but just like Joe Sixpack wants a bass boat, there's always some desire that can only be met by stepping outside of the box. And the wire tamps that urge down? Sort of. It redirects, makes your circumstance less central, sends the desires to other areas. Like what? Drugs, mostly. Except now those are coming from official sources. 
All the dealers around here are corp employees. They keep the prices low, so no one has to roll anyone in town to get the money. Low enough for fast food wages. Or less. Half the time I think they give them away. Well, what purpose does that serve? A town full of addicts? Well, it certainly keeps them from organizing. And if all your neighbors are in the same situation, it becomes a norm. That's the thing I don't get about the wires. All this control over people, you'd think they would use them for something useful. Even if it was only good for the corpse. Why the hell would they need people? That's been the problem for over a hundred years. If it needs doing, a machine can do it. People are in the way. You only need a few to manage the machines. So they stick them in pens, chasing a high. What a waste. Chicken pot pie is coming through. Dig in. The warm smell of the food was too much to resist further. The two visitors dug in. Val and Jazz nibbled on fruit. Neither of them looked well, though they were certainly tough. Harry knew military when he saw it. These two obviously shared that background. Not that they could say much about it. They might not be called Tubmans out here, but they were still supposed to know as little as possible about their guests and vice versa. Still, Harry was curious. What kind of congregation is this? No denomination. Just people who need to pray or have someone pray for them. It makes them feel better. I sometimes wish I could tell him the truth about what's bothering him. His father nodded, and Harry stifled himself. This was VEF for real, not Hattie and Ramsey's opportunistic business venture on the wired frontier. He was among the believers now. The time is coming, maybe sooner than you think. We've seen the videos on the net. Nothing's made the news out here, though. It wouldn't. The information's got to get into the wire. Anything outside of that isn't going to be taken seriously. Harry sat silently hoping that the logic was firing in his father's synapses. It was the whole point. Create all the propaganda you want. If it doesn't come from the sanctioned source, it's not real information. What the hell could Lily possibly do to fix that? All this juice stuff was in rewired territory. Vincent claimed Lily could make anyone into a seer, but from what he'd observed so far, they were still stabbing around in the dark. The girl on the train thought Brooklyn was full of inbred maniacs. Maybe soon it would be. Lars smiled calmly. Uh, there is a way. We know someone who may be able to make it happen. The couple nodded silently. Val's gaze alighted briefly on Harry. His body language was wrong in this scenario, he knew. But there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. He willed her eyes to slide from the side of his head and mind their own business. Instead, they lingered on him for a moment, then passed back to Lars. We've been out here a while. I keep thinking it has to end at some point. That will get found out. This last was spoken slightly more in Harry's direction. He kept his focus firmly on the disappearing remnants of his pot pie. We'll be out of your air soon enough. We just needed intel on the next stop and maybe some help with arranging transportation. Memphis is easy. I know a barge crew you can get on tonight if you want. That's great. I'd rather be working than just riding. Speak for yourself, Harry thought. His memory of the frigid icebreaker journey was still fresh. They'd done some deckhand work on that trip, in the cruel Lake Erie wind. Perhaps the Mississippi would be more forgiving. It occurred to him then. Have there been any more HPL transmissions since the first batch Free Detroit broke? One. From Texas, they think. No video. Just notes on Jew's work. Harry thought about that. Surely Lily's people knew their channel was compromised by now. And they had to know that the Wireds knew they knew. Yet they were keeping up appearances. To whom? Can I see? 
She motioned him to the back office, where a beat-up display sat on an old wooden desk. He pulled up a gateway and paused, throwing a look back at Val. I assume you've got your encryption covered? There's a guy who comes through every so often, between Baton Rouge and Chicago. Makes sure everything's up to date. When was the last time he came in? A month ago, maybe. Not great, Harry thought, but better than nothing. Anyway, they'd already brought up the data he was looking for on this machine before. So if any alarms were going to ring, they would have by now. He ran his query and browsed the result. Soon he spotted the anomaly at the bottom and searched that as well. Odd. VEF says it's Nietzsche. They think it's a backup code. But so far, no one's dug up the alphanumeric tag to track it down. Something that Washington had to be working on feverishly as they spoke, Harry thought. He wasn't sure yet whether to think it was stupid to hide a code within a code. Knowing what he did about Lily, the legend if not the man, he had to think there was something to it, a wink he couldn't see. Or maybe they'd just run out of options. Has there been anything from Brooklyn on HPL? Not that anyone knows. The net over that way has been wild with Weiss for the past few days. He takes up a lot of oxygen. Both Harry and Lars were dumbstruck. Are you telling me Horowitz is out? <laughs> you guys have been unplugged for a while. Yeah, it's a shiny new day out east. The Seldons glanced at one another. Harry's father had known life before Chairman Horowitz, but not much of it. Harry assumed the old Hasid would be there until he died. He'd heard Weiss's speeches on the radio at the bodega, but didn't think for a moment there was a chance of him beating out the only leader Harry had known in his lifetime. Harry saw the wheels turning in his father's mind. Many of the same ones were cranking up in his. The timing was suspicious. Maybe too much so. There was a chicken and egg question. Did Vincent catch wind of something Barrett knew? Harry couldn't for a moment believe that Barrett had no hand in the leadership change. He struggled to pull the view back on the timeline in his mind. There was a connection here somewhere. The old man was searching for it too, Harry could tell. They needed to talk. Is there anywhere we could catch a nap for a few hours until we set sail? My body doesn't handle bus trips too well anymore. Sure, sure. Val can get the cots out. We'll set you up in the meeting room. A short while later, Harry and his father lay wide awake on adjacent cots only feet from each other. The furthest a tiny space would allow. They stared not at each other, but at the ceiling. A roiling array of water stains and rust. The two had long ago mastered the art of exchanging words without acknowledging the other's physical presence in the room. It made a lot of things easier given their history. Harry might understand that history better these days, but his visceral reaction to it was still overwhelmingly negative. Best to keep it businesslike. So, I'm not crazy here. This is Barrett, right? It is suspicious. Vincent didn't tell me anything was happening politically. But I wouldn't have been on the need-to-know list. Harry bit his lip involuntarily. If anyone needs to know what the fuck is going on, it's us, he wanted to scream. But he didn't. Do you think Barrett's pulling her strings? Why would you think of that? He's obviously powerful enough to put his man into the chairmanship. Why not infiltrate the VEF, too? That doesn't make any sense. None of the VEF people we've run into even have any contact with him. Do we know that? Barrett wants stability. Pretty lies. The VEF are trying to shake that up. He wouldn't have any interest in sending me to do their work. What if you only think you're doing their work? What if he's got you loaded up with something that serves his purposes? He could hear the old man seething a few feet away. Harry wasn't trying to start a fight, but this had to be discussed in the open. This bullshit about the extra-dimensional static chip, 
What do you know about that? Harry froze. Under no circumstances could he let his father know the truth on that front. I'm not a scientist. Vincent just called me in one day and inserted it. Where? Where did she put it? Damn it, Harry thought. He's going to go hunting for scars now. And in looking for those, he might find something else. A quick thought entered his head. Okay, that's a lie. Don't fuck with me, Harry. It is, alright. She only put one in you. I don't see the damn things, remember? I know when you're lying, son. You know what they did. You can say that all you want, but I don't even know what the fuck we're doing out here. All this shit about turning everyone into seers? What evidence do we have for that? Shoes fumbling around out in the wilderness, and now with the HPL busted, they're having to be more careful exchanging data. The jig may be up. Don't change the subject. The subject is whether or not we're being played by Barrett, and I have no idea. Do we have any other choice but to complete the mission? Sadly, Harry needed no time to think this over. No. Then can we quit with the hypothetical shit and think about what we know? Okay. What do we know? Vincent sent us out in a hurry. Whatever's going on, it's time-sensitive. We're probably behind schedule because of our little late detour. I know. My fault. We can be pretty sure by now that the Wired's know about HPL and what Shu's doing. Yes. I know what Shu's doing. Harry sat up, staring at his father. That's what Barrett and Vincent were doing to me at the lab. Getting the fuckers all excited and aggressive. They wanted to drink me. They did drink me. I could feel it. A chill spread through the room. Harry had seen the videos. I could only imagine what it would be like up close. Insanity in 3D. The poor old bastard. Then it stopped. The whole thing stopped. They did something to me, Harry. They flipped at 180. It was the fact, but not the method. He wished the old man could see it as a blessing rather than a curse. It can't be permanent, though, or you wouldn't be going to Lily. I know that, but I want to know what they did. Why? Because it's my fucking brain, goddammit. That's how this whole damn thing started, people fucking with other people's brains. Both sides did it, and now even a third side has your side. It has made me question the VEF, yes. But I have to believe they wouldn't send me out here blind if there weren't some bigger purpose at the other end. If they wanted me out of the picture, they could have killed me long ago. It has to be for something. It's too much trouble otherwise. They let the silence hold their words for a while. Harry studied the mottled ceiling. Lives were like that, all speckled with random damage from the elements. Sometimes the worst element was humanity. If I ask you something about Grandpa Selden, will you freak out? A bold ask. But there was less and less to lose the closer they got to Texas. It depends. You said he died because you weren't fast enough. Harry let the words hang in the air, giving his father the option to grab them or let them float away. They were barely visible by the time Lars started speaking. Their house is on the border. Bushwick. By the Evergreen Cemetery. It's where I grew up. I loved that neighborhood. I spent more time walking the streets than at home. Harry willed himself to disappear. To avoid reminding his father that there was anything else in this room but his memories. Dad was a professor at Brooklyn College. I didn't see him a lot. He did a bunch of volunteer work after hours. Mom made soap at home. That gourmet shit people used to buy when they couldn't figure out what else to do with their money. A chuckle risked escaping Harry's chest. Only his father would find fault with someone pursuing a harmless hobby. He did this to me, you know. My brain. I know. Dad's PhD buddies all had it in their heads that total psychology was going to destroy the world. 
Baird had started coming into town for lectures and teaching the local docs how to rewire people. I had no fucking idea about any of that. I was chasing girls and getting my black belt. Harry had forgotten about the black belt. It used to hang on the wall of their apartment. He wondered where it was now. Anyway, he takes me to a doctor, I don't know, just for a scan, he says. I was 16. That's when they did it. And of course, I didn't feel any different. Adwire wasn't the way it is now, and the life cast wasn't something everyone had. I didn't think about it again until I signed up for the army. They spotted it? They mentioned it in the health report, and I realized what it was pissed me the hell off. I was afraid they were going to reject me because of my dad's stupid hippie bullshit. But they needed warm bodies, and military discipline didn't depend on the wire back then. Plus, you were a black belt. Yeah, I got promoted pretty quickly. They put me in covert ops. We did good work. Grandpa didn't approve, I take it. We weren't speaking then. But then the secession talk started. I can read a fucking map. I knew they were going to be in the middle of the shitstorm when it happened. I put out some feelers and got hooked up with Horowitz's gang under the radar. People don't remember, but he used to be a badass. The ordinance he was getting from Israel was no shit. I was impressed with the organization, even if I wasn't completely on board with their thinking. You joined up with the BDF for Mom. I joined up for both of them. And I went AWOL. Damn me to hell, I went AWOL and had to fight my own men. Not because of that stupid old bastard. What was the secession like? It all happened so slowly. It was hard to see what was going on. So many rewires had been moving in from other boroughs and cities, and a lot of natives were being converted, along with their kids. I picked all this up in army briefings since I didn't really go home enough to notice it myself. Then one day, I got a letter from Mom, an honest-to-God letter, and an envelope. Weird as hell. I opened it, and half the damned thing was redacted. Like black marker? Exactly. Like it fell out of World War II. Except this was coming from outside the army. Wrong direction for censorship. Yeah, so now I'm thinking. My mom is smart. She's trying to tell me something. I go back through all her emails and I start noticing little things here and there that don't sound like her. I figure out they've been redacting her the whole time. I don't know how she knew, but she did. They didn't think you'd notice? <laughs> the paper letter threw someone off. They fucked up and sent it to me like that. I knew it was only a matter of time. Some shit was going to go down one way or the other. This was before the declaration. The militias in Texas were on my division's radar, though, and Washington was worried about dominoes. And they knew you were rewired. That was the worst of it. When New Orleans flared up, I got put on desk duty while my team flew down there without me. I knew that was the end. I went to go pick up a pizza and never came back. Did they come looking for you? They knew where to find me. But they were too scared to come in the numbers they'd need. Then the declaration hit. Haley's exodus, rocket launchers in L.A. Hell, I knew what war was. This went beyond anything I had ever seen. The bottom dropped out of all reality, and it happened fast. One minute I'm in the training room with the cadets, and the next Horowitz has my squad suited up taking the bunker at Gravesend. The scrambler. They weren't going to use bunker busters on us. That would have been too fucking stupid, even for Washington. Queens was right there. Horowitz wanted to show them it could be done. I got that. The problem was, going for the bunker sent the wires into full shit pants mode. They started taking blocks on the border and bringing the Navy around the coast. The BDF couldn't do anything but escalate from there. Our troops started firing on the ships from the piers and taking blocks inland. Where Grandma and Grandpa were. I had to let that go. 
My mission was the bunker. We had a hell of a time getting in there. My CO got hit, and I had to think fast. We got in, but just barely. Harry chose his next words carefully. Bringing up Corporal Clegg would derail everything. So what happened in Bushwick? His dad went suddenly silent. No, Harry thought, not now. But he couldn't say it. Then, miraculously, he saw something. A trickle from the old man's eye. And suddenly, Harry knew the whole story. Shooting Clegg to get at the Vorn had sidelined Sergeant Seldom from the rest of the fight. He'd had to rot in the brig helplessly as his parents' neighborhood got blitzed. He wasn't fast enough. He didn't recover from the shock quickly enough to even realize what had happened. He saw a monster, tried to kill it, was taken down by his own team. It was enough to make anyone go insane. I'm sorry. A few moments went by as the memories churned inside his father. The BDF retook that block a week later. One of my cadets was on the search team. He brought me the report personally. Your grandpa died with a rifle in his hand. Empty shells were everywhere. Harry let it sink in. The idealist. The supposed opposite of Major Summerlin. He'd fought to the end. For Sergeant Selden, somehow that was the great unmentionable thing. The labyrinthine neuroses swirled in Harry's head. The hero right under his nose. And the fear of what it meant. What about Grandma? Never found her. Something dug its claws into Harry's heart. A thought too horrible to think. Another reason to forget. To rewrite history. But just then, the old man's gaze rested on his son. So reluctantly that it hurt to watch. Harry, you are so much like my dad. It pisses me off so much, but then I remember. You don't think you can do this, but you can. For a minute, Harry struggled to fit the words into place. They could be talking about a few different things here. You mean I can kill someone if I need to? Yes, a lot more than that. But yes. You have the strength. You have to. Because I may not. Harry let silence fall, laying the awkward exchange to rest. He still wasn't sure they were talking about the same thing. Frankly, he wasn't even sure why there was a question. But clearly there was, at least for him. He lay back down and returned to his own head. He had plenty of his own ideas about what he was capable of. Maybe that was petty of him. A knee-jerk instinct against advice from his childhood tormentor. He reviewed the conversation in his mind. He wasn't made of stone. Put anyone through something like that, they were going to come out fucked up. But some of it was his old man's own doing. Or was it? Harry didn't try to be an introverted code monkey. That's just who he'd always been. Unless being pushed away from it had made him even more intent on that direction. It was all a tangle of cause and effect, nature and nurture, and the big steamroller of history crushing everything in its path. The old curse... May you live in interesting times. But there was one thing about which he and his father were now agreed. All of this had to matter somehow. The bastards in Washington had taken his grandparents, and most of his father, away from him. Part of his psyche rushed to point out how revenge wasn't going to solve anything. 
but another part jumped up and punched that thought in the face. Whatever was going to happen in Texas would count for something, or he would die trying. been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Trista Morris as Nina, Clay Anderson as Mal, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Levi Ray as Harry, Reed Perry as Lars, Steve Obermiller as Jazz Roofer, and Amanda Perkins as Val Roofer, written and narrated by Matthew Broyles, theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 11, Tales of Brave Ulysses. <laughs>